Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand and open together to the 124th Psalm. Psalm 124 is our text this morning. It's another one of those Psalms of Ascent. There are 15 of these tucked away towards the end of the book of Psalms. We don't know much about this particular Psalm's origin. We do know its author was King David. We don't know exactly when it was written, but there are some clues in its lyrics that help us decipher the context. So I've decided to, uh, to uh, title the message today, Victory Song, because that's how it reads and sounds to me. It sounds like a song of victory. David, as you know, in addition to being a political leader, was a mighty warrior. And this is a song that would have been appropriate to sing after a victory in battle. Let's read it now, Psalm 124. David writes, Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now this psalm is very simple in its construction. That's good for me. I like simple things. We can divide this psalm into two simple sections, and I've done that for you on your outline today. The first section offers the reader some horrifying hypotheticals. And in the second section, he delights in some glorious realities. That is, David, in the beginning of this psalm, makes some declarations about how things would have turned out differently given a different set of circumstances. Now, we tend to do that sometimes, don't we? We imagine from time to time how life would be different if we had a different path, if we had chosen a different major, bought that piece of property rather than passing on it. Now, usually when we imagine hypotheticals, we imagine a positive outcome, a better outcome. We think we would have been more comfortable made more money, or even been happier had we chosen a different path. But in Psalm 124, David does just the opposite. He imagines an outcome that would be so disastrous that it would be catastrophic before praising God for how it really turned out. So let's begin with the horrifying hypotheticals, beginning in verse 1. He said, had it not been for the Lord. Now, some of your versions of the Bible just use the word if. If the Lord had not been with us, if the Lord had not saved us. So he says, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us. So that's why I said it sounds like a victory song. His enemies rose up against him. They went out to the field of battle and they would have been destroyed, but the Lord was with them. This is a victory song, but it's also a a praise and a worship song. He is thanking God, giving him the credit for the victory. Because David reveals in this psalm that he is convinced of two great and abiding truths. Truth number one is that God is on the side of Israel. 
And truth number two, had he not been, all would have been lost. Now I need to stop and say right here, we need to be very careful about declaring whose side God is on. Many a government and many a football team for that matter has declared God was on their side. But ultimately, God is on his own side. He is the one entity in the universe who never changes. He never, never wavers. He is fixed and unchangeable and eternal. So we need to make sure we are on his side. But he has declared in his word, hasn't he, that he has a special love for his chosen ones, his elect. In the Old Testament, to Abraham and his descendants, he said, I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He chose Israel out of all the nations of the earth to have a special relationship with. And, and moreover, he promised to fight for them. Deuteronomy 1.30 says, The Lord your God, He goes before you. He Himself will fight on your behalf, just as He did for you in Egypt before your eyes. He's reminding them of when Pharaoh's army was pursuing them out in the wilderness, and He caused the Red Sea to part. They crossed over on dry land, and while they were watching it, He closed up the armies of Pharaoh and drowned them in the sea. He says He's going to keep on doing that for you. He's going to fight your battles for you. And he did that in that 40 years in the wilderness. And then they came to the promised land, the threshold of it, and Moses died. And the mantle of leadership fell to Joshua. In Joshua 1.5, God says to him, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. If you remember a couple of summers back when we studied the book of Joshua together, and we saw battle after battle through the book of Joshua, how God did just that. He kept his promise to fight for them. Even though the Israelites were often outnumbered and outgunned, the Lord granted them victory over their enemies. It began at the Battle of Jericho just after they crossed over the Jordan River. And they walked around and around that city and finally they blew their trumpets and the walls came down and they invaded the city and won a great victory. But that continued on to chapter 11, verse 23 says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Now, if you've read the Bible through, you know that that rest from war was very temporary, as most ceasefires are. I know a cynical pastor who defines a ceasefire as a time when combatants reload their weapons. That's about all ceasefires. Oh, we, we've seen this almost unbroken pattern of violence and warfare since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. But there was a time of peace there, but it didn't last because their enemies had not been thoroughly driven out of the land, particularly the Philistines. And so when David became king, he still had to fight. And this is what we find as he's writing this psalm. Likely he's come back from a battle against some of the enemies of Israel. And he said, you know, if the Lord had not been with us today, here's what would have happened. And he uses two metaphors to describe what would have happened hypothetically had God not been with them. And the first metaphor, he says, we would have been devoured like a beast. He says, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Now that is a gruesome image right out of a nightmare being devoured by a large animal. I suspect most of us have had a nightmare or two like that in our lives. 
where some animal with fangs and tusks are pursuing you. But it was reality. These enemies of God wanted to thoroughly wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And he said, if God had not been with us, it would have happened. This beast would have had to have been very large to swallow a man alive. So I take it that the enemy forces were no doubt sizable, likely far outnumbering David's men. The point is that God was with them, and had he not been, the battle would have been brief, like a large beast swallowing its meal in one great gulp. It would have been over before it started. And in the second metaphor, he gives a little more detail about what went on. He says, if the Lord had not been with them, they would have been overwhelmed like a man is overwhelmed by rushing water. Look at verse 3. He says, when their anger was kindled against us, not only was it a great army, they were motivated by anger. They hated the people of God. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over us. Get the picture of the fastest moving river you've ever seen. In 1996, the Olympic Games were held in Atlanta, Georgia, which was not a far drive from where I was living in Mississippi. And I remember when the different events were announced, one of the events to take place in 1996 for a medal was white water rafting. And I thought, where in Atlanta, Georgia are they going to white water raft? But it was more a regional Olympics. And so they found this river up in North Carolina called the Ocoee. The Okoe had some pretty fast moving water, but it was not fast enough and strategic enough for the experts that were coming from all over the world. And so they spent several years in anticipation of the 96 Olympics putting in man-made barriers that look natural to make the river more challenging and make the water flow more swiftly. And so when the Olympics were over, they decided to keep it like they had made it for a tourist attraction. And so I was uh, much younger and dumber in those days. And uh, my buddies and I thought that'd be a great challenge for us. And so we loaded up and went up to the Okoe River and it was a wonderful time, pretty challenging. But, but I can tell you, when you fell in the water, it was panic time. And that's what he's describing here. When a torrent of water comes over you, it is an irresistible force. Water that is rushing goes in and through and around everything it comes in contact with. Rushing water knocks you down, pulls you down, puts you through the ringer, and ultimately sweeps you away. And that is what David is describing would have happened in this battle had God not been with them. Well, those two horrifying hypotheticals, a beast swallowing its prey whole and a whitewater river washing you away, now let's examine what happened, the glorious realities. Verse six, he says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now remember this is a victory song, but it's also a song of praise and worship and thanksgiving. The reality is that David won the victory and now he gives the Lord the glory for it. He says, praise be to the Lord. He doesn't say praise be to David and his great strategy. He doesn't say praise be to the soldiers for their great training. He says, praise be to the Lord. James, the brother of Jesus wrote in his epistle that every good and perfect gift cometh from above, doesn't it? We give praise to God for any blessing in our life, particularly when He 
protects us from our enemies. And again, we go back to the thought that David is convinced of some simple truths. You know, it's been said, and I think it's right, we, we don't have to know a lot of things to be a Christian, but we have to know a few things very well, don't we? And one of the things that we need to be thoroughly convinced of is what David was thoroughly convinced of, that God was for him. And God is for us. How do we know that God is for us? After all, aren't there billions of other people in the world worshiping different gods and they think their God is for them? Well, we know it first and foremost because our God has said so, that He is for us. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And all of His promises are true and trustworthy. He's not lied yet. And so David says, He has not given us to be torn by their teeth. He's going back to his original metaphor of a beast of prey that he referred to in the first section. And when I think of what kind of animal this is he's talking about, my mind goes to a, a lion or a bear, some predator that, that has no predators. Everything to them is potential prey. My son was reading a book yesterday and I didn't know what he was reading, but it was obviously a book about animals because he looked up and said, Dad, who would win in a fight between a grizzly bear and a brown bear? I said, I don't know, but I'm not going to be close enough to find out. <laughs> because bears and lions are dangerous creatures, aren't they? And they rip to shreds their prey. They're strong and they're fast. And that's how he described the enemies of God. And they're seeking to destroy God's people. And yet God didn't allow that. He delivered them from the teeth of the beast. And David remembered today, likely when he was a young boy defending his father Jesse's sheep from predators. Remember when he wanted to go out and fight the giant Goliath, he said, when I was a boy, the Lord delivered the lion and the bear. They would come and grab those sheep in their teeth and David would go out with his, his club. Remember in the 23rd Psalm, he says that even though he went through the valley of the shallow death, he would fear no evil for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. Shepherds had a, a very primitive tool they used. It was a big old stick. If an animal of prey endangered one of those precious sheep, he got the rod. He got the stick. David says that God gave his enemies the stick. And later on when he was a man, he called upon those memories to defeat giants like Goliath and the Philistines. He was convinced thoroughly that God was for him. But he was also convinced that it was God who had rescued him. Look at verse 7. He said, Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And see, here, here's the terrible truth. Not only are the enemies of God powerful and more numerous than God's children, they are subtle and strategic. They have laid traps for God's people. And one of the easiest and most basic sorts of animal traps is a snare. It is still used all over the world today to catch small animals and especially birds. You simply loop a string or a piece of wire and put some food to bait the animal and when he steps his foot in and tries to fly away, it pulls tight and he's caught in the noose. He's caught and has no way of escaping. David implies that his enemies had laid traps, but he had escaped. The implication is that someone broke the wire that held him captive, and that someone, of course, is God. 
And so in summary, he says in verse 7, the snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He doesn't say by our own strength we broke the wire. He says our help came from the Lord. Now, this psalm was written 3,000 years ago, but it has some very clear applications for God's people today, Christians, the church. And I expect while I was reading and reviewing those few verses of Psalm 124, many of you already have been making application in your own heart and mind. But I'm going to finish the sermon anyway. Here are some things that are clearly true in the New Testament context. As Christians, we are also in a war, aren't we? Let us never forget that. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he described the Christian faith, often did so with martial imagery, military imagery. When he wrote to the young pastor Timothy, he told him that a good soldier does not entangle himself with the cares of this world. When he described his own Christian experience, he said, I have fought the good fight. Paul often used this imagery. Probably the most famous passage in the New Testament using martial imagery is Ephesians chapter 6. Or after giving us all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus in the first three chapters. And in chapters 4 and 5 describing how we ought to live out that faith. Walk circumspectly before the Lord. In chapter 6 he says, but I know we have an enemy in the world. And this is a dangerous place to live. And he says you've got to put on the whole armor. Put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and feet shod with the preparation of the gospel and the shield of faith which quenches the fiery darts of Satan. And the only offensive weapon he's given us is the word of God which is the sword of the spirit because he understands that, that we're in a war as Christians. And, and beloved I, I believe that we are like David's men outnumbered there's more on the other side than on our side, numerically, but not powerfully. Remember what Elisha prayed for his servant. I pray for his eyes to be opened that he would see that those who are for us are more than those who are for them. I say that because Jesus said there, there's two gates and two roads that lead to eternity. One is wide. And I get the picture of a six-lane superhighway going in one direction. And it's an, a road that people are running six abreast on. But he says that's a road that leads to hell. And there's a small gate and a narrow and a difficult path that leads to heaven. And he says, few there be that find it. Now, I'm very optimistic that there are going to be a lot of people in heaven. Because the Bible says it's a multitude too numerous to number. But in every epic of of history in every generation, it seems to be that the lost always outnumber the saved. I think that's what he's saying. But we have to remember our enemy is not a lost person. That's why Paul says we wrestle not, we battle not against people, against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers of the air. Our enemy is Satan. Those people are his pawns and his fools that he uses to fight the plan of God. But we do have an enemy just as surely as Israel did. Our enemy is not the Philistines, it's the devil. And like they were, he is powerful 
and has a lot of resources at his disposal. In fact, he's called in the Bible the God of this age, the God of this world. And friends, I can't find anywhere in the Bible that Christians are to challenge the devil or pick a fight with the devil. He is subtle and strong and has incredible resources at his disposal. And he hates us. He hates the church. He wants to destroy the church. The Apostle Peter says he's a roaring lion roaming about seeking who he can destroy. And get the picture of an African lion skulking about in the savannah. And all he's got on his mind is his next meal. And he's not talking about lost people out in the world he's seeking to destroy. He already has them. He's talking about believers in the church. Now he can't destroy you in the sense of taking your salvation, but he wants to destroy your witness. And he wants to destroy this church's ability to honor Christ in this community. And so that's why Paul says we have to walk circumspectly with our head on a swivel, always aware of the danger that is around us because our enemy is real, he's powerful, he wants to destroy us like a lion destroys his prey. And beyond that, he is subtle. And he is clever. And he lays traps for God's people. Didn't he do that with our first parents, Adam and Eve? Has God really said, if you eat of this tree, you will die? And he's been doing it ever since. Now, he doesn't have a lot of strategies. He just repackages the same ones over and over. Tells the same lies a little different way. As one pastor says, he doesn't have any new tricks, but he has new fools every 30 or 40 years. And he seeks to knock us down and to keep us down, to put us through the ringer and sweep away our faith if possible. Because he hates us. Because he hates everything that God loves. And God loves his church. And so speaking of that, that that's what we must remember today. This Memorial Day weekend. It's about remembering certain truths. And as God's people, there are four things at least which we must remind ourselves of constantly. Number one is this, God is for us, isn't he? If you need proof of that, look to the cross. Jesus says, no greater love has any man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. If you ever wonder if Jesus loves you, look to the cross. And then remind yourselves that he'll not let anything take you away from him. The, Romans chapter 8 is all about hypotheticals. What can separate us from the love of God? Could, could natural disaster, famine, nakedness, peril, could warfare, even death, can death separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? The answer, of course, to all that is no. And so the Apostle Paul summarizes all those hypotheticals in Romans 8, 31, when he says, what then shall we say in response to these things, these hypotheticals, since God is for us, who can be against us? That's a declaration. Your Bible might read, if God is for us. That's not an interrogative. That's not a question. Read it like this. Since God is for us, who can be against us? The assumption is God is for us. He is. The second thing to remember this Memorial Day is that our enemy is real, but his fate is already set. Don't think of Satan as the king of hell. He is not. Hell was created to punish Satan. 
he will ultimately, along with his demons, be cast into the lake of fire forever. Right now, the Lord in his sovereignty has allowed him this season of rebellion, but his fate is sure. And friends, if you are a believer here today, your future is also certain. No matter what happens to you in this life, no matter how many dangers, toils, and snares your path goes through, you know that your ultimate destination is with Jesus. And I read the names earlier today of several dozen of our good friends who in the last 12 months have finished their journey. And when I stand before you every Memorial Day, what I always know is there's some in this room who are going to be read next year. And maybe us, maybe me, I don't know. But I know this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This world is not our home. We're on a journey and our future is certain. Two more things to remember. He has rescued us and set us free. He says, like a bird in a snare, God broke the wire and he set us free. That imagery of redemption is throughout the New Testament, isn't it? To redeem means to buy for the purpose of setting free. And so what has God set us free from? Well, at least two things. He has set us free from the penalty and power of sin. The penalty of sin, of course, is hell. But the power of sin, he's also said, we don't have to sin any longer. We're no longer captive to our own sin. He's now freed us to obey him. And just as surely as that animal could be set free by someone who, who found him chained up by cutting the line, God has rescued us through the blood of Jesus. And then fourthly, finally, remember this. He keeps on helping us. David says in this book of Psalms that he is a very present help in our time of trouble. And from the New Testament, Paul writes this. He says, he that began a good work in you will complete it, won't he? God's not going to get halfway down the road to heaven with you and say, that's enough of him. That's enough of her. He is going to finish the work that he started with justification, that he's continuing on in your path of sanctification. Dear friends, if you are truly his, he will one day bring you to glorification. And we give him the praise and the honor because had he not done it, our life would have been a disaster. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And here on Memorial Day weekend, we are to remember certain things. It's right and appropriate to remember those who have sacrificed for our freedom. And Lord, we know that the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus, who left the glories of heaven, lived a perfect life, and died in our place on the cross as our substitute. So, Father, we praise Him today. We give Him glory. It wasn't because of our skill or ingenuity. It wasn't because of our power. We had none. Praise to the Lord 
for the good things that he has done. And so, Father, we are blessed because we know just as surely as you are with the armies of Israel, you are with us, the church. You tell us that as long as we are in this world, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. You give, you, give us your spirit to live within us. You give us a wonderful church family to encourage us. And Father, one day soon you'll either call us home through death or Jesus will come for us all. And so Father, we say with saints of old, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We know this world is hard and difficult, but we're not alone. Even though the enemy is powerful and strong and subtle, we know that you're for us. And if you're for us, and you are, who can stand against us? Thank you, Lord. May that encourage your heart today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.